0: Welcome back. We are already up to episode six of the New Levels Coaching Podcast. And remember, our aim is to provide coaching education to the endurance world, education and inspiration, of course, so that you can literally go away and run with that inspiration. This week, I'm joined by my good friend and also now work colleague, Dr. Matt Long. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, Matt. For those of you who aren't aware, Matt is actually a lecturer at Loughborough University and uh, that's where he's come from just now. Um, But he has a number of talents. We are delighted to have him as part of our team at New Levels Coaching. He is an athletics coach. He's he's also a coach education uh, officer. Is that the correct term, Matt?
1: Yeah, uh, coach development tutor now or coach tutor it was. Yeah, tutor developer.
0: Perfect. I can't keep up to date with all these terminology changes that they come in, but Matt has, a, has educated me on my coach journey, and likewise, we, we go back and forward. As I mentioned, he's, he's a doctor as well. Criminology, is it, Matt?
1: Criminology and sociology is my background, and hopefully we can bring a little bit of that to, to play in our, in our coach education chat today,
0: Lewis. Hopefully, but don't be arresting me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and also he does a lot of um, written articles as well for the likes of Athletics Weekly, Fast Running. So you may have seen or come across some of Matt's articles online or on social media, which are absolutely fascinating. Uh, He's a team manager for Team England, Team England Masters, most recently at the Chester Marathon. So those of you who are in the Masters scene, you may well recognise Matt, particularly if you're tuning in on YouTube. He is very much a man of many talents and we are delighted to have you at New Levels Coaching, Matt. And I'm also delighted that you're joining me for this week's episode. Well, thank you for making me feel valued and first met you at a Steve Cram running
1: camp as I recall and I think we we worked together I learned from you and we we built a little bit of a writing relationship I think we wrote a couple of articles for Athletics Weekly and and the British Milers Club uh, journal which I was involved in at the time so so great to actually end up working with you totally
0: unexpected but you, you know you really have helped my my journey here at Loughborough. Amazing well I remember that camp well do you know what I remember most about it your What's, shorts, my shorts. There's nothing to see of them. I, I'm I'm very much Lewis's joke, and I very much like my
1: '80s retro attire, guys. And I, I I don't want to run in shorts which are like um scout shorts, long shorts. Hate it. So I I very much like my '80s memorabilia. Big big fan of uh, Steve Cram, childhood hero, Sebco, Steve Ovet. So I spend half my life and half my money on eBay trying to search for athletics memorabilia. So if you see anything. Lewis will pass on my email
0: address. I think I think that's probably where we funded our our first bond, though, Matt. Because I'm a big big fan of sport and we have similar trends. We love our boxing. We love yeah. our athletics. You love your memorabilia as much as I do. And I think that kicked off our conversation. I kind of saw the retro Nike shoes and the shorts. I thought, God, this man knows his stuff. He's into the retro side of things. And and we built that relationship at the Steve Cram camp and that's evolved over the years. And And we now work together at Loughborough Uni as well. You help out with the group that I formed here a few years ago. And, um, I know you sometimes say oh I'm an assistant coach but I don't view it that way I see us working together as a team and like I say we're now working together at new levels coaching too and and the idea for this podcast came off the back of a, a Q&A we did with with our athletes at NLC because you you came on and delivered a really fascinating well, it was actually a conversation, it wasn't really a Q&A and it was back and forth and it was around rest, recovery, regeneration and a little bit of athlete burnout and And I guess that's where I want to kick off today is looking at the importance of rest and recovery because we're at a period of time right now where there's a lot of big goals around and people are, are taking on big challenges and we're right in the middle of that autumn marathon season as as you will know as you were at Chester a few weeks ago and I think a lot of people who will be listening here is... Uh, to us are we thinking well what do I do after I've had a big challenge what should I do and I often see I think we are open to discussions on this but I often see people fall into the trap of just going straight back into training and thinking what's next what's next and I guess that's where I want to kick us off Matt is when people are going towards those big challenges is it important to include rest and recovery off the back of it how do you view that? I think it is. And I think before we go into the sports science of this, Lewis,
1: we need a little bit of social science. And uh, you alluded to the fact that I'm a social scientist, a sociologist. There's a very famous sociologist, one of the founding fathers called Max Weber, who uh, wrote or introduced a concept which you may or may not have heard of called the Protestant work ethic. And it informs much of our culture in Western life, which means that we're taught to be self-reliant. We're taught to be industrious. We're rightly taught to be hardworking. We, we sometimes see rest and sleep as, as, as sinful in a way. Uh, and Weber wrote a lot about this as a sociologist. So I think that that frames the context in which many people that choose to pursue athletics as a, as a leisure pursuit often approach the sport it's almost seen to be rest is an add-on it's it's uh it, it's not a nice thing to do it's not something we like to do we're, we're taught to be industrious we're taught to be productive we're taught to be hardworking. so i do think that that is important context because i think our sport like many sports but particularly our sport does attract a certain personality type who has to be up early in the morning who has to be seen to be industrious who has to be seen to be hardworking? So there's that's a natural pressure to go against rest and regeneration. I also think that it's a symptomatic of a postmodern society in that nowadays social media is omnipresent. We can't escape it. Races are understandably pushed at us. They're pushed in our faces in a way in which they weren't when I was uh, when I was a lad in the eighties. You know, you've sought races, you bought. Athletics Weekly every Thursday, you looked for road races. Um, so that culture of being in your face and omnipresent and is, is, is a real pressure pulling you away from um, a bodily or psychological desire to
0: rest. And I really do feel that that cultural framing should inform the rest of our chat. It's fascinating that's where you kick off, Matt, because I would say I personally fall into that category that you've just mentioned around You know, one of my values as as a person is work hard, and we think this is uh, we think this is brilliant. You know, the harder that I work, the better results I get, and that I think that stems for me from my northern background of growing up in that working class culture where. You, you get out of life what you put in and and i associate that with well, i've got to work hard you you've know. got to work hard yeah. gotta work hard but i've learned over the years that particularly through athletics that that isn't always the case and actually working hard can often result in in problems too but then linking it to the second part of what you just said is is even more fascinating because as you say we're now adverts are pumped at us there's social media out there you're constantly almost drawn into the next challenge the next race or even what friends are doing you know posting online oh I'm going to go to this race I'm going to do this challenge and then the mind thinks oh well I'll do that as well you know I'll get involved so there's almost now the the opportunities are similar but you notice them more And, and there is a real kind of I guess there's a real clash for, from my perspective is I want my athletes to be sociable and I want them to be enjoying these races, mm. but I also know that doing too many can often result in problems down the line. Absolutely. And I think more specifically when you mention, when we talk about the,
1: the omnipresence of social media, I think the, the, there's two things, the Strava culture, and which isn't wrong, by the way. Strava is a, a great tool, as, as is all technology. Uh, but also power of 10. And I'll tell you an, interest, an interesting cultural example is, I remember once speaking to, to Jenny Meadows, who of course won a world uh, bronze medal, I think back in 2009, over 800 metres. And, and Jenny was a successful teenage athlete. I believe she was an English school's 800 metre champion at the age of 14 in mid-90s, around about 1995. And she once said to me, Matt, I wouldn't be here giving this talk today as a world Bronze medalist, I think she was European indoor champion. Had power of ten existed, and I said, "Why?" And she said, "Too much pressure, too much omnipresence." And I just found that fascinating. That here was here was somebody that was a, 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 you know, relatively high achiever at a a relatively young age, saying I I couldn't cope with that kind of
0: omnipresent, in your face, performance pressure. Mm That is really interesting because I talk a lot about that to the athletes I coach here at university. And in some ways, I think they're fortunate that they have social media because people can now promote themselves and that can lead to sponsorships at the top end, like Absolutely. real top end, you know, Jenny Meadows is level. Um, and some people utilize that really well to get to get sponsorship deals and partnerships that maybe weren't available back in the day. And that's allowing them to become these full-time athletes. On the other side of that coin, um, you know, we've got people at any level that get dragged into social media and and Gemma calls it, Gemma, my wife, of course, yeah. who you know very well. Um, Gemma says comparison is the thief of joy. You know, sometimes comparing yourself on social media and looking at what other people do and what other people have. And often it's not reality as well. People often post their best things and not everything and that's what we see on Strava sometimes people post what they want to be seen and not everything and it doesn't tell the whole story and people start comparing things to other people where we didn't really have that even when I was younger I'm not I'm not as old as you quite as old as you Matt yeah, but absolutely. even in the 90s and when I came to Loughborough University I remember getting my first Polar watch from John Nuttall's group we did a trial with Polo and they said oh we're gonna start to track pace and that was you know, revolutionary, not being heard of at that time when Garmin and Paula started doing that. But in some ways, it's brilliant. We have all this data, but in other words, it's made things really tricky, hasn't it?
1: It, yeah, it, it, it certainly has. And again, it's, it's the, the, the kind of danger of, of technology and being guided by technology. It's a little bit, 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 uh, uh, like the debate about artificial intelligence. It's a great tool, but don't let it become our master spoke to an athlete that I work with the other day that basically said, I've just looked at my watch and it's telling me I need a rest day. And and that to me is a little bit, bit dangerous to allow technology to become your master. Why? Because I think the, the major cultural problem I see with athletes that I work with today is that, um, the technology leads towards quantification and therefore everything is to split. And, uh, the issue that I have with athletes is getting them often to regress and run to feel. And that is a real issue that I'm not, you know, to, to actually say to an athlete, how did it feel? I know what your splits are. I can see your Strava and that's all important. But how did you feel? And I, I noticed being older than you in my 50s that that kind of approach that Ron Hill had, I, I interviewed the late great Dr. Ron Hill that that we'll all know, you know, who won European championships and ran in the Olympics at the marathon, who've said, I'm a doctor of textile technology. I'm well able to use a computer, but I deliberately record all my runs. This is went on for that running streak that he had that went on, what, 50, 60 years, something ridiculous like that before he sadly passed a few years ago. But he deliberately kept hard copy diaries, not because he couldn't use technology, because he said to me it encouraged him to write descriptively, Qualitatively about feeling, and that is that is massively important. And 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 we ha- we are losing culturally
0: that kind of process. We are well. Let's let's touch on that because I think that links nicely into that that rest. And as you say, Garmin, um, it told me once I'd just done twenty six miles. I'd just done a, a marathon at an easy pace for me, mm. and it told me I was being unproductive. That's what flashed up on my watch. I, I mean, where's it getting those stats from? It's crazy. I've just literally ran a marathon. So it shows we, we shouldn't look at everything on the watch. And yes, it's all relative to, to the individual. And we can use some data. I'm not saying we shouldn't. Some of it is very helpful. And our coaching is built on it. We we analyze the data that we get from people's watches on final surgeries, links to Garmin, which allows us to do that. So in some ways, it helps us with our coaching when we are coaching the people that that we work closely with. However, that term feel, I think, is so important. Not just in races where we say learn how to run to feel um, because your watch might go all over the shop. If it's been built up areas, it's really important to understand how you're feeling and, and that pace you're, you're operating at. But also when you come out of a, of a race, which is what we're talking about here, and sometimes you can come out of a major race and you can feel on top of the world because you've had a good performance, and, and I think you used a really good analogy with me the other day where you said, it's like your Sunday dinner. Um, you can sometimes feel brilliant after your Sunday dinner. Maybe you can touch on that to explain what you meant around, around that.
1: Yeah, the, the analogy um, uh, I meant was, I mean, I'm working with an athlete at, at the moment who had a, a brilliant half marathon at the weekend, uh, is understandably on top of the world and uh, you know, feels as if they could you know, run through a brick wall at the moment. But I've deliberately um, not given him a period of rest and rehabilitation, but given him a deloading week. And uh, and the the analogy I used was, you know, you something I've done uh, myself is, you know, sometimes you eat a Sunday dinner and it's a gorgeous Sunday dinner, and you're lying back on the settee Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden you you walk past the fridge, you're making a cup of coffee, and there's that Mars bar that you bought, or yesterday and you're thinking oh I'll just scoff that as well and then you do that and what happens to you Lewis how do you then feel
0: you feel amazing when you eat it and then afterwards you think why the heck did I do that
1: yeah I'm feeling a bit sick
0: yeah I've gone too far Gone
1: too far so I think with athletes there's a question it's a question of not what can I do but what should I do? And, and it's very, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. I had this, this issue with a, a girl that I coached um, who became a, a world master's marathon champion in, in March in Turun, who was on cloud nine and wanted to run 10 miles the next day. That was a half marathon. After a half marathon, I want to run 10 miles the next day. I'm on top of the world. I can carry on. And I said, please, 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 you know, hit the brakes. You know, don't pedal so hard. Just free wheel for a while um because i knew that for her to back off was the right thing to do even though her body was full of adrenaline and i'm on top of the world i'm on cloud 9 you know we've we've all done it i was nowhere near your level as an athlete as a club and county level runner but we 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 all naturally get
0: that high when we've had a pb and we want to push on well let, let's touch on that bit for for the people who are tuning in and listening of you know they're probably listening thinking well why do i need to do that you know if i'm on cloud 9 and i'm rolling with it why do i need to to rest you know why not strike while the iron's hot i'm i'm clearly in good form so let's touch a little bit on the science behind it um and let's say somebody's had that big goal let's say in this instance it is a marathon or a half marathon they've been aiming towards it and as coaches we have aimed we've periodized their plan so that they peak for for that race and in this instance everything's gone well they've achieved their target and maybe more they come off the back of it and we say brilliant but now you need that little bit of a period where we're going to rest and regenerate as we call it and then we're going to build back up why is that so important that people go through that phase and they don't neglect it
1: well, um, we've spoken about one chocolate bar, a Mars bar. Shall we continue the chocolate analogy? Have you have you ever tried a Toblerone, Lewis?
0: A Toblerone, I have indeed. You're making me hungry sat here though, Matt. I'm thinking, what, what can I dip in my tea next after this podcast episode? But yes, a Toblerone. What's better than a Toblerone? What's better than a Toblerone? I'll give you the answer. It's a
1: giant Toblerone.
0: Okay, yes, I'd agree with that. So
1: my partner, Tina, buys me a Toblerone every week from Morrison's in Burton-on-Trent, where I live. At Christmas, I get a treat. It's a giant Toblerone. I like a giant Toblerone more than a normal-sized Toblerone because, do you know what? The bigger the base, Lewis, the bigger the base, the more chocolate I've got at the base, the higher the peak. Absolutely. And that's a simple law of physics, geometry, whatever. So uh, if if you if you think about your training as reaching a peak, a higher peak, and once you get to the tip of that chocolate bar, there's only one place to go. You can't go up any further. Where can you go, Lewis? Where should you return to?
0: The base.
1: The base, yeah. And so that means regressing your training down to the aerobic. And and I guess for me, you you can begin to rest and regenerate in a number of ways. So complete abstinence, you know, might be uh, an option. I know very famous runner. I think I alluded to him at the start of this podcast, a hero of mine, Steve Ovett. end of the Moscow Olympics, typically 1980, wins the gold medal, beats Sebastian Coe in the 800, probably takes three or four weeks off in Brighton, doing nothing, walking around, putting a little bit of weight on, I've seen videos of Ovett coming back after his rest period, where he's, he's struggling to run 5k, struggling to jog 5k along the seafront of Brighton, I'm going back 40 years.
0: But let, let's put that into um, very kind of simple terms, in running terms, so complete abstinence, as you called it. That yeah. literally means nothing, doesn't it, for a vet? That's what it meant, almost nothing.
1: Almost nothing. Now, I suspect that for your listeners, or our listeners, Lewis, that that is a big ask in the context Definitely. of the omnipresence of social media, in the context of... Um, the hyper real world where people are posting things which are true about themselves, which are fake about themselves, where reality blurs into fakeness. In in that kind of context, in the context of Max Weber and the Protestant work ethic, many people are going to go, that's not for me. that that That's too scary. I get that. So there's a halfway house, isn't there? Let's think about what Steve Obeck could have done. Could he have gone a bike ride on the on the seafront of Brighton? Could he have done walks could he have played a little bit of football things like that i know one of your work colleagues steve cram did used to play a lot of fiber football used to warm up doing it so I, I think there's an opportunity to abstain from running as a halfway house but to cross train and again many of the people in new levels coaching they you know, might come from triathlon backgrounds you know again swim a little bit more cycle a little bit more play that game of badminton if it's the summer and on, you know play that game of tennis use it as an opportunity to develop that kind of multi-sports ethos so you're losing time running or giving up time running but you're working on what we call in in coach education your ABCs Your agility, your balance, your coordination, moving, you know, if you're playing a game of badminton or tennis, you're moving in a multi-axial or multi-plane direction. As a master's runner or the older you get, thinking of the demographic of our, you know, our audience, the more important it is to keep doing that, to keep going to those fundamentals that we you know we lose all that um, as, uh, when we grow out of childhood Lewis into adolescence uh, I remember going completely off tangent I remember talking to the head of uh, performance at Manchester United, a football coach who said the problem you've got with, with with kids coming through for Man United nowadays, the reason we're not doing as well as we were is because Wayne Rooney, Paul Scholes they were the last of the street game generation, mm. they were athletes because they ran about, they played and, 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 and really when we formalize our exercise activity we we lose
0: that kind of playfulness and multi-sports ethos it's funny you say that we we were chatting this weekend in the lakes on the trails and Gemma was asking how you get better at this sort of stuff you know the rocky stuff where you you're descending fast downhill you're climbing uphill and I said to her I said look I said it it becomes quite playful and, and it goes back to the, you know, if we were a child and we were running down here, we probably didn't overthink it and we played with it and we jumped and we we were bounding and we were leaping. And, you know, the things that you used to do as a kid, like hopscotch, some people used to do, or the, the ABCs that you did in, in PE at, at school. And it's interesting, you made that football analogy there, certainly you took observation from what was said about from that football coach they're now kind of going full circle and going back to that and you see these street parks and these courts that are being set up in inner city London and now there's a hotbed coming from there. You know, Arsenal have benefited from that and there was a football program recently on the TV which showed that it's like one of the most prominent areas for producing talent in the world is central London where they have these these street courts, where these kids are coming from and playing against each other and learning the skills. And that's what it's all about, isn't well, of it? Of course in athletics, we've at the Commonwealth games. I,
1: I worked on the phonetic stand. Great to get kids throwing bean bags, doing uh, standing long jumps, all that. But, but the tragedy is as a society, again, I'm speaking as a sociologist rather than a coach is we've had to artificially redrop that kind of stuff in, uh, in, into the into our culture, whereas I'm sure I did phonetics in my day, but it wasn't called phonetics. We just naturally picked up rocks and threw them and did all sorts of things and naturally leapt and bounded, whereas it has to be more formalised in a society like uh, ours.
0: And I and I am going to go a step further here and go down kind of the, the mindset route with all this as well. And, you know, the perception of going and playing out as an adult is, is totally different, whereas as a kid, you obviously did that. But I'm also going to go down the route and touch on something you said before, Matt, around so certainly some of the athletes we work with. They, they wouldn't be comfortable with taking a full week off or, or doing nothing. And that's because um, a lot of people do rely on exercise now as, a, as a, a mental health benefit to them. And it is. It's such a powerful tool, exercise, and we're encouraged to do it daily. Um, so we're not saying that you have to go away from exercise altogether because we know the power of that for certain people and we know that they they want to do that but what we are saying is there is a period of time where you come away from the thing that you've been doing and you re, you rest and you regenerate and there's a big power behind that as well because we know about training adaptations and if mm. you if you come away from the stimulus that you've been doing so often you often then get the adaptations you need because you've been through that stress which Steve Magnus talks about so well and Brad Stolberg in their in their book peak performance You stress something, you overload something, you then let it recover and that's when you get those nice adaptations off the back of it. But they say the biggest problem with this is most people want to do stress, 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 stress and they forget about that rest and recovery which complements the equation to give us those nice adaptations with what we're looking for.
1: And I think so. And, and I think uh, to get a Eurosport scientist, I'm not. But I think the concept that, that a little bit of homework for our podcast viewers, if you were to Google the term allostatic overload, that would explain how um, burnout, if we can use a, a you know a colloquial term, burnout is caused not just physiologically. You can you can research things like what they call the HPA gland, the hypothalamus
0: pituitary ad- adrenal
1: gland we, big
0: big words you bring into the table here Matt again, big words but yeah absolutely relevant
1: but you, you can look at it from a purely physiological point of view but that concept Lewis of allostatic overload says hey don't forget the psychology of needing downtime as well so I, I would encourage your your, your, your listeners to, to look at that term you know allostatic overload and, and and to think about your training and your, your livelihood in a holistic way, both physiological, psychological, and dare I say, as a, a university sports chaplain, spiritual as well. It's about your being. Um, so two 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 options so far, Lewis. Um, complete abstinence. Secondly, abstinence from running for cross-training. Third option. Let's have a think about the athlete. One athlete I've spoken to yesterday, option one's not for me, laughable. Option two, don't play any other sports, don't like triathlon, don't like cycling, swimming. Haven't got the time for game-based activity, not in a -a five-a-side football league. So, a reduction in the training. You keep running, but it's about energy systems, isn't it, Lewis? You yeah. you tell us about the three energy systems as a, a sports scientist, and then we'll look at which one we need to definitely probably eliminate during
0: a period of regeneration. You just, a quick whistle-stop tour of the energy systems. Before I touch on those energy systems, Matt, I'm just going to backtrack quickly to something you said. I think it's a really key point for our listeners and viewers to, to take in around that psychological downtime within that, because sometimes we... We go to the physiology and, and we love the physiology and we love what happens to the body and we kind of neglect our, our mental downtime. And I think it's just as important to give ourselves a mental break as it is a physical break. And I think that for me is a a lot of what people um, underestimate is you, you can feel mentally refreshed when you come back to it. And I always think a good sign is when you're really looking forward to coming back to training. You're wanting to go. And I yeah. used to think that was a good, good sign.
1: And again, people tend to reach for the physiological indicators of of, of, of of burnout or allostatic overload, as we called it. They tend to look at heart rate or I'm getting a blood test and all of those kinds of things are really, really important. But I remember a friend of yours, a mutual friend of ours who I had the privilege of... Of assisting as a coach years ago at Birmingham University, Luke Gunn. We used to go to Rameau I think you've been up there, but I remember every morning, Luke Gunn. I think was was the head of endurance at the time. But we we would give athletes a a readiness to train inventory, a questionnaire, which 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 wasn't really to do with anything to do with heart rate or you know blood, whatever. It was it there was not very little okay, there was a knee to wall test I'm thinking aloud here where we, you know, measured people's flexibility and stuff. But it was mainly how are you feeling? How how do you do you want to train today? Are you managing your studies with your training? And it was very qualitative. It was very feel based and and again that's a good way of, of monitoring your own psychology.
0: And I think that's a really good point for people to take away is it's not just about looking at your performances and your splits, as you alluded to earlier in training. It's also having to think about how you feel. And if you're feeling a bit drained and this is going on over time, then it's often telling you something that something's not quite right. So just be careful with that. Sometimes performances can look great. Heart rate can look normal. but. The, there can be underlining signs there of how you're actually feeling. So back to your, your three energy systems then. So if we go to, in simplistic terms, I think most people are aware of the aerobic system. Absolutely. Yeah, which is, you know, as endurance runners, that's the, the system we often spend most time training or that's where people often refer to, that's where our big base comes from. Uh, we then talk about the anaerobic system as well, which kind of people often say layers on top of that in, in an aerobic set, or sorry, in an endurance setting. So we do our aerobic training and we have our anaerobic training on top of that. And then we have a system where we refer to as like the, the lactic the lactic acid system. I think that's what you're referring to with the, the three systems. We could go a little bit more in depth and go to kind of the ATP PC right at the top and the Alactic system. But I think what you're alluding to, Matt, is those three systems around aerobic, anaerobic, lactate.
1: Yes, I, th- I think for me as a, as a, as a coach, if, if you're going to continue running throughout um, a regeneration period, a deloading period, even as well, which is more regular, and more routine than, a, than a, an annual break or a break every six months or whatever, I think the, the golden rule for me is, is, is to look to, to the work of a classic coach, a great, late, great New Zealand coach called Arthur Lydiard.
0: The Lydiard Pyramid, which the I'm Lydiard sure a Lydiard lot pyramid. of people will have heard of. Yeah.
1: Now, I wouldn't like to label myself as a, a Lydiard fan or a um, pro-Lydiard, anti-Lydiard. I think there's good, there's bad uh, in in every coach. We, we 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 you and I share an eclectic approach. We beg, we steal, we borrow from the the greats, the Lydiards, the Sarutis, the the Peter Coes, the Bill Baumans. But one of the things that Lydiard taught me was that you can only stress your lactate system, your anaerobic system, for around about six to eight weeks. And, and after you've done that, you reach a peak and you start to go stale. And the problem then is that when you go stale, the natural thing to think is I'm not training hard enough. I'm suddenly running 30 seconds slower at part run than I was last week and I'm trying really hard. So what do you do? What's the what do we do that's wrong, Lewis?
0: Yeah, so I guess the the question here is what do we do as opposed to what we should do, and what we see a lot of people do is they start to train harder, and they add more faster work into their program, and they think the harder I train or the faster I run, it will come back, it will come back, and that's actually the biggest mistake they make. And I remember telling you a story, and we've we've spoken about it numerous times about Ross Murray, who's one of our coaches here at NLC. Mid-season, mid-Olympic year, he's got his Olympic qualifier. He's um he's in really good shape, and all of a sudden he just started to come off that that peak, as you said. He peaked early to get the qualification, but the Olympics in two thousand twelve was still a few months away because. Uh, in British terms what happens is you've got to get the qualification standard early in the summer kind of May, June time and as we know from that year in 2012 the Olympics aren't until August time so Absolutely you've, right. you've got a gap so so what did Ross do and what did his coach do well Craig his, his coach at the time Craig Winwell had the genius idea and I, and I believe Nick Bedard had a little bit of input on this too they said look Let's go back to the aerobic work. Let's step away from the anaerobic work. Let's step away from that real high end intense speed work. And let's go and bank some tempo runs, some threshold runs, some steady runs. And also, let's take the pressure off yourself of racing. Let's step away. Stepped away, went and did some tempo runs, slowed things down, went back to a bit of volume, comes out at the Emsley Car mile and has an absolute stormer. Finishes second, I believe, at the Ms. Car mile, and is Probably his greatest career performance. It shows the importance of just pulling away a little bit.
1: So did we not say a few moments ago, Lewis, we we, we had a little bit of a lighthearted joke about a giant Toblerone.
0: We did. So You're I've still got, making me feel hungry.
1: I've got a visual picture of Ross Murray sliding down the chocolate bar to that wide base. Is that, is that what I'm saying? That's exactly
0: so, it. So he went from that peak and yeah. he very much was at a peak as well. Fastest he's ever ran by, you know, quite some margin. Um, set a BMC record in the process of doing that. And then he was just like, oh, I, I refer it, the, the Tobleron's a really good analogy because it, it's shaped like a mountain peak, isn't it? This pyramid. And I see it as, uh, and, and again, I'm going to refer back to Gemma here. When, when Gemma climbed Kilimanjaro, the guide, the Sherpa, who, who was helping them get to the top, to acclimatize as they were going, he was saying, we're going to go up a little bit and then we're going to walk a little bit further than everybody else is doing. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk you up further, and then we're gonna come back down the mountain. So we're then gonna rest, recover overnight, and we've, we'll acclimatise the next little bit. And I visualise that with exactly what you're saying, with Ross. He, he just went up to that peak, but he just needed to come back down a little bit before then going back up. Yeah, can I bring in a couple of? Um, uh, I think I think these visual analogies, fun though
1: they are, are, are useful. I do believe that the imagery is a good way of. Of, of coaching athletes, so I'm going to give you two analogies here or two stories, and and uh, the first one is I remember at the age of 14, I think it was the summer of 1985, going away uh, to Scarborough on holiday, family holiday.
0: I wasn't even born wasn't then, born. Matt, so you're throwing me back. But I have done many a holiday in Scarborough, so I know exactly where you where you are.
1: And m- many of the people listening in will will know of Scarborough, have visited Scarborough, and there's a quite a famous hotel on the seafront called the Grand Hotel.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I remember being 14 years of age and I think it's got something like 153 steps, which take you from the seafront, the beach, basically up to the hotel. And I was in shape at the time. I was 14 years old. I was a club and I think county level runner. I was in pretty good shape and, you know,
0: feeling inspired.
1: And every day I'm
0: I'm visualizing this as you're talking. It's brilliant. Keep going. My visuals. I'm, I'm picturing Matt Long in Scarborough. Love it.
1: Every day I used to say to my old man, I said, I'm going to run up them steps, all of them. And I'm gonna to get to the top. And we were there for seven days. And you know what? I'm ashamed to say I never did it. I had to stop. I got out of breath going up them steps. But never want to give up. Last year I went back to Scarborough uh, as a slightly overweight, out of condition, recreational part runner that I am. And I said to my partner, I'm fifty two years of age. I couldn't do this when I was fourteen. I'm going to run up them steps. I'm going to do it this time. And do you know what? Two minutes later, two and a half minutes later, I'm stood at the top like Rocky. Rocky style. I've done it. Do you know why I did it? That, How come, far fitter at the age of 14 than I was at 52, how come I ran up the, all those steps? There's a trick in this. Do you want me to
0: tell you? I'm going to have a couple of guesses. I have think, a guess. I think as an older, mature athlete, you'll be better at pacing yourself up those steps.
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: I, you are, have got years of aerobic development behind you now. Yeah. And you, have, you also have the technical awareness of how to, to run up them. The other, other one I'm going to throw in there, have they decreased the amount of steps that are there? <laughs> no, you're
1: overcomplicating it. There, there were the same amount of steps as uh, there were in 1985. But if you can visualize those steps, uh, what happened was um, you've got 10 steps, then it levels off. Ten steps, then it levels off. Ten steps, then it levels off. So what I haven't told you is, I ran. The, every, I ran all 153 steps, but I walked. We walked. Uh, Love it. And that is the analogy that you know. As, co- as, as, as a coach educator, we talk about the concept of progressive overload, and people are very. People tend to understand the notion of overload, that the fact that you have to do more and more to get better. Peter Coe, coach of of, of Sebastian Coe, our Chancellor at Loughborough University, two-time Olympic champion, once famously said, athletes that train the same stay the same. So we know that overload is important, but what people forget is it has to be progressive. Those steps and the levelling off after every 10 steps, Lewis... Made it progressive overload, you know. If I was a, a particularly vain individual that that wanted a suntan, and this is not a good we're not encouraging the listeners to go and get a go on a sunbed, but I go on a not, sun... in,
0: not in Scarborough anyway, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so
1: I, I, I go on a sunbed for 10 minutes today, Lewis, and then I say, Wow, well, 15 minutes tomorrow, and 20 25 minutes on a Saturday. What's going to happen very quickly to my, my skin?
0: You're going to get red or tanned,
1: okay. Not that we're here to advocate sunbeds, that's not absolutely what we're doing. not, but. Give me then, Lewis, a progressive overload way of me getting a,
0: a suntan. Progressive overload would be uh, exactly as you described on the steps where you, you maybe go for two minutes at first and you come away and you have a, a couple of days off or even a, a, you know, a week off from the sunbed. You then go back and you maybe do four minutes. You then do six minutes, eight minutes, and, and you slowly adjust over time to get used to the what would we call them, the UV lights that are on the sunbed. So you spend longer progressively over time. So that I the agree. time is the thing that increases.
1: Absolutely. And I'll give you, so we've what we've used a steps analogy at Scarborough. Hopefully that might work for you. You can Google the Grand Hotel. There's pictures online, guys, of those steps, if that helps you with a visual analogy. Um, the, the more simple analogy I use is, and I think you may have used this yourself, is we, we, we're all as athletes. We sat in a bathtub. Yeah, And we're having a bath and we want to basically pull the plug out towards the end of the bath. Our competition is approaching. We're going to get out the bath and compete. So we naturally have to pull the bath plug out and the water's draining away. The water will drain away very, very quickly if you haven't filled it with enough aerobic, warm, splashy about water. And that's the, that is what I would really want to leave the listeners with today. If you're in a bathtub, are you filling the bathtub with nice, hot, splashy, aerobic, hot water? Are you filling the tub or are you pulling the plug out? Yeah, too soon. Too soon. You yeah. can only pull the plug out for six weeks before you can i've done it we've all done it in the bath i remember when i want a hot bath i might pull the plug out but i'm also turning the hot tap back on there's a skill to it there's an art to it but you can't just expect performance by pulling the bath plug out because the water will run dry if the water runs dry you'll be sat there in the cold and i guess to use an analogy i uh, rest and Rehabilitation podcast is about sometimes getting out the bath, towelling off and refilling it before you get back in.
0: And I, I think that's a really important point to take away and just some, some key takeaways here and um, before we do conclude is that often the mistakes we see people make are in relation to wanting to do too much faster work or, or wanting to do too much in general. But often they neglect the basic skill of just going out easy running and, and running slow and building that big aerobic base. And it's so, so important to do that because, the, as you said, Matt, that the more you fill that bath up, the higher that water is, the longer it's going to take time to drain down. Absolutely.
1: And remember, we're not just talking here and because I think it is cultural. I, th- I think with track and for those of you that are... Track based athletes. Um, I think there are natural break. I think it is easy to say yes, ah, yeah. it's the end of a cross country season. Ah, It's the end of a track season. I'll have those few days or weeks off to regenerate. I think the road. And again, it's speaking as a sociologist. The road running culture is more your season starts at 9am with a park run on New Year's Day. And and you've
0: probably done one on New Year's Eve as well. You've doubled up.
1: Absolutely. There's no natural break. So I think that it's not I think it's harder for road based athletes to they have to be prompted to build in those regeneration periods. But remember, it's not just about twice a year to build in that break. It's, it's really about having what, I mean, another uh, athlete that I admire, again, uh, a graduate of Loughborough University, David Moorcroft, former world record holder at 5,000 metres, uh, broke the world record in 1982, uh, ran 13 minutes point four one, very close to being the first man to break the 13 minute barrier. Said Owita did it um, after him. But Moorcroft would have, about every four or five weeks, the story goes, he would have a DOS week where he still ran, but where he, he regressed to just, hey, I'm just out the door for a run. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's 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 really, really important to build in. And again, it, you don't have to factor in a, a DOS week. I mean, uh, you know, um, one of my athletes that I mentioned that, that's just done a half marathon, he's having what what Moorcroft would have called a DOS week, which is a natural week to have it after a half marathon. Or if you're in, that's a natural week to have a DOS week so I think that you it doesn't have to be something that's strained or forced into a schedule oh I have to plan every fifth week to have a DOS week no it can be more intuitive than that
0: and comes back to feel how you're feeling if you're just feeling like you need it or if you've got a bit of an illness you might need to take a back off week I used to uh, with my coach I used to go through that process of building for a few weeks and then having a bit of a down week. That's how we did things in our cycle. That was we didn't go to a weekly cycle. We we did that uh, as a as a three to four week cycle and one of those weeks was a bit of a down week. And just to touch back on episodes that we've done previously So if you want to go back and listen to the episode that I did with Jethro, I believe that was episode two, we talked a lot about A, B and C goals and and, and those races and how you can sometimes train through those goals, but how you might taper back for certain races, again, that could fall in with that week. And Gemma and I did one more recently, the last episode, episode five, where we spoke about long-term planning and looking at periodizing your plan. And again, how that fits in with having rest and regeneration, not just at the end of cycles, as you said, Matt, but within those training cycles and, and how important they are because they absolutely are. And I was, a, I was the athlete who, as you said, I, I had very clear seasons. Cross-country season for me was in the winter. Indoor season was a big one for me. That ran from kind of end of December all the way through to March. And then again, I'd have a bit of a break and then it was track and you're absolutely right. It was distinguished breaks within my year that were programmed into my mind. What I find difficult as a coach is, you're absolutely right, the road running scene, or there's so much variety now that people can even go from the road to the trails and vice versa. And they constantly want to keep, keep going, which in some ways is admirable. It comes back, I'm gonna go full circle here, right the way back to what you said at the start. It's sometimes ingrained in us from a social perspective and we just want to do more, 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 that hard-working ethos. But what I would encourage, and I think the message from both of us is clear, Matt, is don't always see more as being better. Don't be afraid to take your foot off the gas, as you quite rightly said earlier. Don't be afraid to take that break off and just say, you know what, I'm just going to rest and recover here and give myself time because what we see collectively as coaches is, People then perform better when they do that in the races that they're targeting. Rather than targeting everything every single week, Absolutely. they can start to distinguish where their goals actually are.
1: Great message. And and Lewis, you're a sports scientist. I'm a sociologist. I think as a fun way of concluding, I I think I would, as a sociology lecturer, I would give you... A 2 2 today on your sociology. A
0: Desmond, well, a Desmond 2 2, as we call me back. it.
1: I, I want you as a sports science y, Bod, to, to rate me as a social. You know, what would you give me for sports science today? Because I did use that big. What did I say? You did, no, definitely
0: in a 2-1, yeah. I've been yeah.
1: practising in the mirror all morning. Yeah, absolutely, 2-1. What, what you, you give me a 2-1? 2-1, 2-1.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> you would do, you would do. I'm going to have to raise my game though and uh, and come back with a bit more to, to get up to that first and uh, those distinction levels. Well, that brings it to a wrap for this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. As I said, Matt is one of the coaches at New Levels Coaching. I think there's a misconception in the coaching world that you have to be an elite athlete to be coached by people. That isn't the case. We help runners of all abilities and we help triathletes of all abilities to find their potential. All we're looking for from people is that they want to work on themselves to be better and we help them with that performance. So if you're thinking about coaching or if you think if you're sat there thinking coaching isn't for me, I'm not an elite athlete. Honestly, you don't fall into that category. We help people of all abilities as I say to to find their, their personal best, as we like to call it. So if you want to find out more about our coaching, head over to newlevelscoaching.co.uk. If you want to follow us on social media, that's also great. Likewise, if you have any questions off the back of today's episode, Matt and I are always prepared to answer them. So send them in and we'll happily answer them. And if you could leave us a review, that'd be fantastic. If you've watched on YouTube, I hope you've enjoyed us being back in the granny flat because we've been away for a few weeks. And I just want to say a big thank you to Matt.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and always learnt something myself.
0: I feel like we've got part two somewhere down the line as well, haven't we? We could go a lot deeper with a lot of those topics, um, but obviously conscious of time and Matt's got to get back to his day job lecturing at the university. So thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate it. Hope you've all enjoyed it, listeners. As always, train well, race well, and also don't forget to rest well. See you all again very soon.